You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Our guest today is Jason Smith, the Director of Youth Justice Policy for the Michigan Council on on Crime and Delinquency. His group successfully fought to raise the age to 18 in in the jurisdiction of the juvenile court. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, definitely. Definitely. We're glad you can appear. Um, before we sort of get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your role with uh, the council. So the Michigan Council on Crime Delinquency is a 60-year-old-plus nonpartisan nonprofit organization in the state of Michigan that focuses on juvenile justice policy. Um, our goal is to promote a fair and effective juvenile justice system to improve outcomes for young people and, and improve the lives of Michigan youth specifically. And my role is the director of youth justice policy. Uh, historically, we've uh, MCCD for short has focused on both adult uh, criminal justice and juvenile justice issues. Nowadays, our, our focus has mostly been on uh, youth justice issues. So young people in the juvenile justice system and young adults, I would say between the ages of 18 and in the adult system. Okay. And so uh, I lead our, our policy advocacy efforts. That sounds great. That sounds great. And so... Tell me, you mentioned sort of what the group does and sort of explain to me how you all got started uh, with this initiative for uh, juvenile um, delinquency or juvenile helping uh, moving up the age in the juvenile court and um, describe to us how you decided to take on this issue. So the issue of mass incarceration, right, the the issue of – a huge number of adults or people in general, but really on the adult side, um, being incarcerated, as you know, uh, the statistics show that uh, the United States incarcerates more people than most any other developed country. Um, we felt that as a juvenile justice agency, uh, advocacy agency mostly, we could help impact this issue of mass incarceration would be to focus on the young people who were prosecuted and convicted as adults uh, in the adult system here in Michigan. Um, In 2014, we released a report called Youth Behind Bars um, that really highlighted uh, the consequences of young people being placed in the adult system, had some statistics about the number of, of young people who were incarcerated or actually placed in the adult system in general uh, under the age of 18. So that's including uh, young people who were convicted as adults who were placed on probation um, in the adult system or and or placed in adult facilities like prisons or jails. And we found that um, between the, the years of 20, 2003 and 2013, the decade we had uh, good data for, um, more approximately 20,000 young people under the age of 18 were 
convicted and sentenced as adults. And um, of those young people, 95% of them were there simply because uh, Michigan's upper age of juvenile jurisdiction was set at 17. So any young person uh, older than 17, uh, 17 in a day, uh, is automatically prosecuted as adults, no matter how serious or petty their offense is. And we felt that a way that we can make a significant dent in reducing the number of young people in the adult system, the, the number of adult uh, young people sentenced to adult facilities, would be to raise the age of juvenile jurisdiction um, in Michigan. And um, since we started the, the Raise the Age campaign that really took off right after the release of the Youth Behind Bars report, several other states had uh, raised their age of juvenile jurisdiction. There were several states, um, like New York and North Carolina, for example, that were still automatically prosecuting 16-year-olds as adults, and they have changed their age, too. Um, when we first released the report uh, in 2014, I believe there were around 9 or 10 states back then that still automatically prosecuted 17-year-olds as adults. Um, uh, now there are only four who automatically prosecute all 17-year-olds as adults, and Michigan is one of them. Okay. Uh, Georgia, Wisconsin, and, and Texas being the other three. So we just really viewed raising the age of juvenile jurisdiction as a way to get uh, really make a dent in sure. reducing um, the number of young people under the age of 18 in the adult system. Uh, we really support the idea of decarceration, um, serving young serving people in general uh, as much as possible. In community-based settings, we feel like that's the most rehabilitative, most effective uh, way of, of holding people accountable for their actions, but also providing treatment to reduce uh, the likelihood of reoffending. Um, and by returning 17-year-olds to the juvenile justice system, we felt like that would be the most effective way that we could we could help uh, in the issue of mass incarceration, specifically in Michigan. Right. And, and you talked about uh, reoffending. Um, and talk to me a little bit about uh, what your research found in terms of how many young people that are um, convicted under the age of um, 18 or 17 at this point or up until yesterday, 17. Um, what, was, what were the rates in terms of uh, reoffending and, and sort of how important is um, raising it to, to 18, as you mentioned earlier? So uh, the data is kind of weak on the actual recidivism. Uh, it just in general here in Michigan, we have uh, poor recidivism data. We don't have a clear definition, even what what people consider recidivism. It's recidivism, a new charge, a new arrest, um, a new conviction. Um, I can tell you that national data has shown that when a young person is uh, convicted as an adult under the age of 18, uh, sentenced to an adult facility, if you compare that young person to a young person who was kept in the juvenile sen- uh, system, uh, maybe placed in a facility based on their offense, a juvenile facility, but same offense, same age, those young people who are exiting the adult system are more likely to reoffend. They're more likely to reoffend in a violent way and, and are more likely to reoffend sooner than the young person leaving uh, a juvenile facility. There's various reasons for that. One, um, a young person who is incarcerated in an adult facility is not able to participate in treatment and um, services that are based on their age and developmental status as youth. Um, the, the facilities and, and the systems put in place by 
the adult criminal justice system are, are, are really designed for adults, much older. Um, even reentry to talk about the young people exiting the, the system or specifically uh, facilities. Um, prisoner reentry, which is often talk, talked about as an important issue on the adult side. Um, imagine if you're a young person who is convicted uh, at the age of 17, sentenced to an adult facility for uh, a, a sentence of 10 years or so, which the majority of young people uh, who are incarcerated as adults eventually get out. And we found in the Youth Behind Bars report that uh, most young people under the age of 18, when they are sentenced to adult uh, prisons, their their sentence is not longer than 10 years. So they eventually are going to get out and hopefully become productive citizens again. Well, prisoner reentry is going to look very different for a young person who never had the opportunity to gain any of the uh, life skills that an adult has, um, signing a contract, uh, renting an, an apartment or, or getting some sort of lease, really establishing an appointment history. Um, all of those factors, in addition to any kind of trauma that young person may have experienced in their life that may have led to their offending behavior or, or trauma that they experienced while they're in facilities, young people are vulnerable. They are a very much vulnerable population in, in adult facilities. They're more likely to be uh, faced with sexual and physical assault when incarcerated with adults. Um, those issues are not often addressed appropriately for an adult, uh, a young person in an adult facility. So when they leave, all they face all of those issues, uh, including the barriers that are commonly understood that, that, that adults face by having an adult criminal record to prevent them from furthering their education, getting a job, getting stable housing. All of that leads to increased um, recidivism. So the thought of uh, the perception of how to deal with youth crime uh, in the 80s and 90s, the tough on crime era, um, it really it, it was a failure because in, in all reality, uh, by placing uh, young people in a, a system that's not designed to effectively rehabilitate them, you're actually decreasing public safety, not increasing that. Right. And, and so not to discount you know, any other people who are uh, involved in the system. But for African-American men, talk to me a little bit about, you know, how crucial this is for African-American men men and, and women who are who are um, in the system. Uh, and, and again, not to discount anyone else, but I just really sure. want to focus on, you know, African-American men and women. Yes, no, absolutely. So, um Black, uh, African-American men and women are the predominant minority here in Michigan. Um, they are disproportionately uh, represented at every stage of, of the justice system, but juvenile justice system and adult. Um, so you know, they're more likely to be arrested than, than whites. They're more likely to uh, not be offered diversion from the formal system. Um, once they are adjudicated or convicted in the adult system, they're more likely to penetrate deeper into the system um, than whites. And, and they're more likely to, uh, young people under the age of 18, uh, black youth, are more likely to be convicted as adults and sentenced to adult uh, facilities uh, than white youth. And so um, this, well, you know, d disparities may still exist for the, 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 the 17-year-old population of African-American uh, girls and boys, uh, even after race age happens and they return to the juvenile justice system, at least uh, it will reduce the number who are facing some sort of adult sentence um, 
in the adult criminal justice system and all the consequences that comes with that. Okay. Um, trying to, I was looking to quickly find some st- a stat for you, but I believe that 53% of the young people under the age of 18 that are placed in the adult system are youth of color. That's disproportionate based on the number of uh, African-American youth in our population in Michigan. Okay. And, and just for a quick question, just for my, for my own edification, um, those young people who are, who are convicted of crimes and are put in, into the adult system, are they not able to vote as well? Uh, can um, vote uh, as a now maybe not necessarily while in the facility. Some facilities uh, allow that and are better at it. Specifically, the jails. Okay. Than others, um, but a felony conviction does not prevent you um, from voting in the state of Michigan. Okay. Okay. And, and it does in some states. Right. And and that was why I asked the question because I wasn't I wasn't sure. So I, and and I'm sure there are a lot of other folks who, you know, um, didn't. Um, understand that either. And so um, tell me a little bit about the um, initiative you all tackled uh, and, and finally got done uh, yesterday and uh, what sure. the legislation meant. So uh, uh, like I said, uh, uh, after releasing uh, the Youth Behind Bars report in 2014, we really um, did a, a statewide tour to present the findings of the report, promote education about this issue, this important issue of young people being uh, convicted as adults and the consequences that come as a result of that. And we launched our campaign to raise the age of juvenile jurisdiction. Um, again, the primary goal being uh, raising the upper age of juvenile jurisdiction from 17 to 18 and bringing uh, the majority of 17-year-olds to the adult, I mean, from the adult system to the juvenile system. I say the majority because uh, just like every other state, even with our our let's to pass legislation to raise the age, there still is an option for prosecutors or judges to transfer young people who have committed very serious offenses, uh, murders, sexual assaults, and the like, um, to the adult system. It, it is not mandatory. It's it's their discretion, but it's an option that uh, politically uh, had to continue. Um, So our goal, though, because the majority of 17-year-olds overwhelmingly commit nonviolent offenses, most of them are actually misdemeanors. Uh, They they commit crimes more similar to uh, 16- and 15-year-olds than they do 30-, 35-year-olds. Possession of drugs and alcohol, school fights, simple assault, petty theft, property damage. Those kids uh, deserve uh, age and developmentally appropriate treatment that the juvenile justice system provides. And so our goal has been to, to pass legislation um, to raise the age of juvenile jurisdiction. This is the third legislative session that um, bills uh, trying to achieve and achieve that goal has been introduced. This is the first time um, that legislation was introduced in both the House and the Senate. Previous sessions, we were only able to uh, get legislation introduced in the House. It's it's better to try to have a bicameral approach in in introducing legislation just in case uh, one side gets slowed up uh, compared to the other. Luckily for us, um, there was huge support, specifically around um, this issue of making sure that young people get the treatment that they need so that they have a true second chance. That was 
supported with bipartisanship uh, leadership in the in the legislature. And um, yesterday, um, the final votes were done to send a compromise bill package, a, a combination of both House and Senate bills, uh, depending on who's going to get the final act, a public act, uh, was voted on yesterday afternoon and will be sent to the governor's office. That's wonderful. And so share me some share some of the details of what happened and how and you you talked about um that it hadn't been done before what was the um emphasis now what made them act now um versus other times i i think um just the, for one the reduction in the number of states like i said there were 10 9 or 10 states when we first started I, it might even be far it's been so long um that i can't even remember but um Boil it down to four states left. Uh, it just showed that it, we were completely out of line uh, with the rest of the country. We were out of line with federal standards um, that uh, dictate that a young person under the age of 18 has to be treated differently than adults in uh, the eyes of the justice system. The Supreme Court uh, had decisions over the last decade that reiterated that point, and every law that governs the state of Michigan, I think it really just started to um, make sense to lawmakers more that um, any law you think of, the, the most recent uh, ban on, on vaping or, or um, flavored tobacco um, uh, d- d- determines or states the age of, of majority at 18, um, voting, um, being uh, when you or go to trial, having a trial by your peers. A 17-year-old can't sit on a jury, um, so they'll never have a trial by their peers. Um, I think all of those those points are just finally sunk in with enough legislators um, that they were willing to make this a priority, and that's the biggest key, is the legislature, uh, there were always in the legislature over the last couple of years who pushed this issue. But I'm, I'm grateful of, of that, and, and I'm happy, too, that a lot of those bill sponsors who started this process with us years ago were able to stay on as bill sponsors and actually see this through to the end. But um, the legislature actually made it a priority. Um, and when, when they do that, it makes things move a lot faster. Okay. And, and how fulfilling was this after all these other attempts of, of getting it done? I mean, how fulfilling was it to, to get this done? And talk to me about the, the other partners that you had involved um, with this too. It, it was really great, and I said, you know, I, I've been working on this for, for several years. Um, I honestly felt that this was our time. Uh, I, I think that we had a supportive legislature. Um, in the past, um, one of the committees, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee, the chair, was not as supportive of moving this issue along, and um, one of our bill sponsors from previous sessions uh, moved over from the, the state house to the, the Senate of Peter Lucido from Macomb County and became the chair of judiciary. And that just made this process so much easier. Um, and so again, it, it was great to be able to succeed and, and while he could still be the champion of the legislature, uh, I mean, of the, the legislation. And um, another key point that I think really helped us move at this time is we were able to build a stronger coalition. Um, first time around, it was really MCCD, uh, 
championing the championing the cause uh, more or less by ourselves, um, and doing all of the public education, doing all of the advocacy at the legislative level. Um, we realized uh, soon after the first session when things kind of stalled. Um, that you need a bigger tent. There are people who obviously support this. There's, there was polling data that showed that Michigan residents supported treating 17-year-olds in the juvenile justice system. We included partners like the Michigan League for Public Policy, the ACLU of Michigan, and, and groups from the right, conservative groups, um, the Michigan Catholic Conference, um, the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, um, several regional chambers of commerce, uh, Detroit and, and uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, it, just like uh, the, the lawmakers who supported this were bipartisan, so too was our, our coalition, and everyone contributed. It wasn't a situation where um, we had organizations just show up for hearings and put in no cards of support. People put in their time, their resources, the polling that I just mentioned, an, an organization that was a part of our coalition paid to make that happen. Um, all of our software to get uh, boost grassroots support and direct um, folks to uh, send emails and calls to their legislature, I mean, their legislators, that was contributed by members of our coalition. And so to have um, many people sharing your message and saying it, their audience can, can understand it better than maybe I can, I could share it, um, was really impactful. Okay. So put put us in your your group's shoes. I mean, you know, you're starting off in 2014 with this and it's not really um, getting any headway. And so you keep plugging and plugging away. So sort of put us in your place and were you ever um, discouraged that this would never happen? And, and talk, talk to me a little bit about the entire process of, you know, starting from the ground level um, and finally getting to where you were yesterday. Yeah, so we knew that our ultimate goal was to raise the age of jurisdiction. Um, um, we had a larger goal than even that, and, and it's something that we're going to continue to work on, is to re- eliminate and remove all youth from uh, uh, adult facilities, even those who are waived uh, for, to the adult system for serious offenses. Um, but we knew we had to start somewhere. And so... Um, we, our goal was to present the evidence of why having young people in the adult system is a bad idea. There's lots of negative consequences for it and make sure that it's not something that advocates are just pushing alone, um, but that uh, Michigan residents, people that the legislature listens to far more than us, um, are making that argument. Um, and so that, that was our, our goal originally. We did events all over the state, the, the northern, uh, northern Michigan, Wayne County, western Michigan. Didn't do anything in the UP, unfortunately. But we, we did uh, event spending our, our case for raising the age statewide, and we were able to build support amongst uh, the grassroots, faith-based communities, um, the business community, um, liberals and conservatives all heard our message, and, and we were able to use that uh, to build momentum to try to push for legislative change. Um, at one of the events that we presented at, um, I think in December 2014, presenting the findings of the Youth Behind Bars report, a uh, state representative, uh, Harvey Santana at the time, who since promoted, but uh, his wife, Sylvia, who's a senator now, is one of the, the bill sponsors and a champion of legislation. Um, Harvey at the time uh, was at an event we did in Detroit. Okay. He 
really took interest in this issue and, and said he wanted to support us and really helped build the original bill package for Raise the Age. Um, and we just kept plugging along. Um, every time we had any kind of setback, which has mostly been around the issue of funding, that has been the barrier to any state passing Raise the Age simply because serving young people in the juvenile justice system compared to the adult system can be more expensive. Um, and I, I say can be because in the juvenile justice system, um, they the juvenile courts offer much more community-based treatment than the adult system does uh, as opposed to incarceration, which uh, the adult system, in our opinion, over rely on more so than the juvenile system. But um, when a young person is in, it, it confined out of home in the JJ system, uh, so a kid adjudicated by the juvenile court, um, the cost of serving that kid per day is more expensive than the adult system because they're, they're required to, to offer more treatment and daily education um, than the adult system can. And so that's always the concern with, with states with making this change. We had to make the argument that, one, um, no one completely knows what the cost estimate will be. Um, every state that passed raised the age before we did um, saw did their their either their fiscal analysis done by the legislature or by private groups uh, provided overestimates for what the actual cost would be. And two, even with that in, in increased cost that would come would bring in a, a new population into the juvenile justice system. Which I should add that juvenile court caseloads are down uh, both in Michigan and nationally. Just uh, Michigan's an aging population. There's fewer kids. There are fewer kids getting arrested. So we also argued that now, if you're going to make this cha- change, now it's time to do it. Um, but even with the increased costs, uh, the long-term benefits of reducing future crimes, future arrests, um, future costs of victims, it far outweighs the short-term costs of making the legislative shift. That argument became stronger and stronger as time went on. And we just were able to build enough support in, amongst lawmakers to, to make the change. Okay. And in addition to that, talk to me a little bit about the how a young person who is in the adult system is treated. I mean, you're, you're talking about um, a 14, 15, 16-year-old uh, young man or woman that are dealing in a system with adults. Um yeah. You know, 30, 40, 50 so, years old. And, and so talk to me about how about that issue as well. Sure. So I already mentioned uh, kind of the lack of, of age appropriate treatment for young people um, who may not have graduated high school by the time um, they were arrested and, and convicted since to adult facilities. Um, mental health treatment that is appropriate for a young person compared to an adult. Even if you consider um, kids, uh, young people who are placed on adult probation, um, the, com- the community-based treatment that they have access to uh, in the adult system is very limited. One, the adult system is much more focused on the individual than the juvenile justice system is. Um, the, the adult system views the, the juvenile as an, almost as an independent adult, as if they're not dependent on their family and their parents for their still for their well-being and health, despite the fact that a 17-year-old is still a minor in the eyes of the child welfare system. So a parent 
who is neglectful can be charged with abuse and neglect for a 17-year-old. But if that same 17-year-old is arrested in the adult system, the parents are necessarily notified of their arrest. And as they progress trial and, and conviction and sentencing, the input from their family and, and, and parents aren't taken in the same way as the juvenile justice system. They're not engaged as often in treatment. And it's designed that way. Um, comparatively, the juvenile um, they because they already have stronger collaborative relationships with other institutions that touch the lives of uh, 17-year-olds and engage their family, think about it. You know, 17-year-olds are typically juniors and seniors in high school. The juvenile courts have much stronger relationship than the adult system does with schools, with the child welfare system, with community mental health which uh, treats young people under the age of 18 in, in separate services than the adult system. Overwhelmingly, the juvenile justice system is better at providing and participating in as a partner, not necessarily always providing, participating as a partner in wraparound services for a young person to really provide holistic treatment to ensure their rehabilitation and the reduce the likelihood that they commit future crimes than the adult system does. Okay. And uh, when when this is hopefully signed by the governor, it will come into effect in – when will it come into effect? And then uh, – uh, The effective date is October 1st, 2021. Uh, we would hope uh, that it was, it was moved up sooner than that. Uh, but the uh, push has been from the counties who uh, – compared to the uh, – that's another important – uh, thing to note the the juvenile justice system here in Michigan is decentralized and it's it's county based. So the counties manage the juvenile courts and provide the budget and the funding for it. Whereas uh, obviously young people that are convicted uh, in the adult system are managed by the state, the Michigan Department of Corrections. The each county's ability to prepare and implement raises it varies depending on their size, their resources. Um, the counties have argued they needed a, a multiple-year implementation process, and so that's why uh, a two-year effective date was given. And I just say, too, that several other states uh, that passed raise-the-age legislation over the last couple of years have given multiple-year multiple implementation dates as well. Okay. And and in terms of the juvenile justice system uh, here in Michigan, how, did, how does it differ from other states um, in terms of – what we provide versus versus other states. So it's it, again because of the decentral the decentralization. Um, every county um, sets up their juvenile court system differently. I like to say that the every 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 juvenile court is its own kingdom here. Um, the the type of programming, the resources provided to kids, the amount of county budget that's. Uh, directed towards juvenile justice services and funding really depends from county to county. Um, some counties really uh, embrace and support the use of informal diversion uh, for kids. Some counties use uh, out-of-home placement uh, a lot, even though it's, it's trending downwards, that use. But it, it really varies from county to county. I think that that's the largest difference. And our funding mechanism is uh, a state and uh, county partnership. Though a lot of uh, expenditures for the juvenile justice system are covered uh, 100% through county budgets or county general funds, uh, a significant portion of juvenile justice expenditures statewide. And again, it depends their county to county. 
um, is funded through a state and county partnership um, through what's called the Child Care Fund, which is managed by the Department of Health and Human Services. So for uh, eligible juvenile justice expenditures, um, the counties pay for those, those costs up front and, and then for expenditures, again, that are eligible, um, and this is both for uh, treatment and programming for kids in the home, community-based treatment, and when they're placed outside of the home, um, for ex- eligible expenditures, they are reimbursed for those uh, costs at 50% from the state. Okay. So decentralization and the funding mechanism, I think, is what truly sets uh, Michigan's juvenile justice system apart. And does that make it um, better or worse than, than other states, or, or is it a, a mixed bag? So this is Jay's opinion, but uh, I, I think that there's, there's pros and cons. Um, the pros is by allowing a system to be decentralized and letting the county and a, and a local juvenile court determine what kind of services and programs they need. They can really be innovative and cater their treatment and programming to um, the needs of their specific youth population. That is, that's a good thing. Um, the downside of that is it's uh, based on the priorities of that, that county. And so a young person uh, who could be adjudicated of the same offense in one county compared to the other may not have the same options for treatment, may not have the same options for diversion. So a kid who one community may determine would benefit from being diverted from the system entirely and just referred to services in the community may be placed on probation uh, in another or placed in home in community-based care in one county or placed out of home in another it's, that that's the variance and then even though the state pays 50 percent of uh, the eligible expenditures for most juvenile justice services um, the statewide data on what's actually happening in the system is, is really poor because every county collects the data differently not all counties report the uh, data to to the state um, and so even though particular counties may know how well they're doing and where, how they're serving kids, where they're placing them at a statewide level, it's difficult to say uh, this many Michigan youth are placed out of the home for this offense or this many youth in Michigan. We talked about recidivism. Um, we, we don't know statewide uh, the outcomes of youth who participate in, in services in the juvenile justice system. Okay. And, um, You talked a little bit earlier about um, the bill not necessarily going as far as you want it to be. So where ultimately would you like this to go? So we believe that at NPCD that no young person belongs in the adult system, or not in adult facilities, I should say, adult prisons and jails. Um, There are kids who commit serious crimes who... Uh, may need to be placed uh, out of the community for public safety, um, but it, they should not, no person who commits a crime should be subjected to sexual assault or physical assault because of, just because of a crime that they committed. And like I said, young people are more susceptible to that in adult facilities than, um, than adult inmates are, both from adult inmates and uh, adult staff. I don't want to uh, place that all inmates. But our goal is to hopefully uh, eliminate the the placement of young people in adult facilities overall, even those who are waived to the adult system. 
Um, there was legislation that was included uh, in the Senate version of the bills. Remember, there were uh, raised age was introduced in both chambers this time. There was legislation in the Senate bill package um, that would have removed all youth from adult prisons and jails uh, under the until they turn 18. So let's say a young person commits a serious offense, is uh, prosecuted and convicted as an adult and sentenced to uh, a sentence of 10 years or more, 20 years, something like that. Uh, we would have at least liked for that young person to uh, stay in a juvenile serving facility until they turn 18 so they can get age-appropriate services and be protected. Um, and then if their sentence requires it, transitions on to an adult facility. That was taken out partially because the discussion around funding for that and where those kids go uh, deserves a separate conversation, um, which is a, it, that's a much smaller population. Um, the, the number of young people under the age of 18 total, and that's 17-year-olds and below uh, in the adult system, uh, in adult prisons, I should say specifically, hovers around 50 to 60 tops annually um, compared to the 7,000 or so 17-year-old offenders overall in the state. Um, that where those kids are going, how you pay for them is a separate conversation that needs to be had, and there seems to be interest in that in the legislature, but um, people wanted to pass raise the age the first. And so because we understood that, that's, that was a compromise we unfortunately had to make right now uh, is to pass raise the age but then continue to focus on removing all of you from adults. So it's just because you can be a young person as an adult, that does not make them an adult. Um, they are still a child just convicted of an adult uh, offense or sentenced as an adult. Okay. And as we get ready to wrap up, um, give me your final thoughts on, on everything that we've talked about uh, this afternoon and um, tell me anything that uh, you, uh, I have missed or that you would like um, our listening audience to, to uh, learn about. I would just say that Michigan as a whole should be proud of this historic reform that we've made. Now, uh, there will only be three states that automatically prosecute 17-year-old adults, and Michigan won't be one of them if, if the governor signs the legislation, which we hope she does. Um, this is going to be a significant policy reform that impacts the, the lives of Michigan's youth in a positive way for years to come. Uh, there's more work to be done, as uh, I outlined, but... People should be proud that in a time of political polarization that lawmakers came together as a bipartisan way, Michigan residents came together in a collective way to do something good for our kids and raising the age achieves that. It, it is a, a, a big win for our state and for the kids of our state. Okay. Well, thank you, Jason. We appreciate you taking time out and uh, coming on Beyond the Headlines today. And uh, if... Uh Need be, we'll have you come back on again. I would love to. Thank you so much. Thank you. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. 
Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. Thank you.